Inomine Cinema e TV e Spiritus Streaming. Amen. Hello to the Hollywood faithful. Welcome back to the Hollywood Confessional. I'm Jer Zamorathal. And I'm Megan Dane. We are your creators, producers, and co-priests. How's that for a multi-hyphenate? Co-priest is definitely going on my resume. We're so glad you're here listening. We have two more incredible confessions coming up for you today. I'm going to kick it off with the story that has by far my favorite title and possibly my favorite philosophy of all the confessions we've heard so far, and that is Find Me Bitch. I don't think you're emphasizing that right. Did I say it wrong? The last word should be italicized. Like, like how? Like, find me, bitch. Like, find me, bitch. Take it back. Find me, bitch. There it is. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I think we got it. This is why I'm a writer, not an actor. I, like, I can barely call myself a podcast priest. Ooh, podcast priest. Better than co-priest. You know, for me, there have been a lot of stories that gave me a bit of a gut punch, but just a couple that have true jaw-dropping moments. Last episode's confession, It's a Man's World, definitely had a few of those. And this week, I'm going to go with another one that's so top secret, we had to bleep practically every other word, which is why we call it the bleep bleep story. I'm so excited to get into this. You ready? Let's step into the confessional booth. Forgive me, Father, for I've been a gopher or an adult little boy whose mommy was really mean to him. Tell me about how all this began. Who were you when you took this job? I was rushed out of college. I was 22. I was in a really vulnerable spot because it was my first job out of school. I didn't have any luck finding anything. I was applying for everything and just getting nothing. And to make things worse, um, my mom passed away unexpectedly. There was like no safety net for me. So whatever job I could get, I was going to take it. I'd been looking for six months with absolutely no luck. I was surviving on the money I made giving swim lessons the summer before. I was really desperate, and then I got this job. It's this production assistant job for this commercial production company. They did animation for commercials, and I was running errands for them. I paid shit. And it also wasn't, you know, I had no health insurance. It was that contractor type pay with no benefits. So how did that make you feel? It's so degrading. I realized that I ended up doing things I never would have done before my mom passed away. I had this level of fear that things would happen when you don't expect them. You should just take a job and keep it by any means necessary. Did you have any sense going in that it was going to be a shitty job or did you have higher hopes? I thought that it was going to be something. I thought it would be a stepping stone to something else, something better. I thought I'll do this for a little while and then I'll find another job. I was applying for other jobs the whole time I was working and just getting nothing. At the time, I wanted to put on that I didn't need help. I was afraid to tell people I was struggling, so I was just eating it. Mm. Like I said, it was degrading work. You're just running around getting people stuff, which is fine, but when people are rude about it and not saying thank you, plus I was cleaning up after them. I was doing dishes. I cleaned up the bathroom after it flooded. Stuff like that where I'm like, I would never do that now. <laughs> I'd be like, fuck you, no way. But back then, I just didn't know. I didn't compare notes with a lot of people to find out that it wasn't normal or just what you have to do. Right. So who was the adult little boy you had to work for? The nightmare guy was the CEO, I guess you'd call him. He was the primary person. I was the assistant for the entire office. Anytime anyone needed something, they'd ask me and I'd go do it. 
but the worst parts of it were dealing with him. He was this new and up and coming animator. He had a new hip style of animation that was in all these high end commercials. He made a name doing that and it gave the company a name. It all went straight to his head and he thought he was God's gift to animation or some shit. <laughs> uh, I'd heard some stuff when I got there that there was a former producer there who was having assistants get oxys and shit like that for him. And that guy had to go to rehab or quit. But he wasn't there when I was there. Even the fact that he was there for so long made me think something was weird. Culture doesn't change in a place that quickly. That's true. What was the breaking point for you? My boss had a well-documented anger issue. He would shout and throw things, but thus far, I'd been able to avoid it. One night, I find out at 7 o'clock when I should be getting off that they need something printed for a pitch in the morning and they need someone to watch it the entire night. I had to make sure the computer stayed awake and not pause out because then it would be on me. This was like a big job for Nike, I think. Wait, so you had to stay awake the entire night? Wait, they, did they lock you into the office? Like, what the hell? I'm watching this printer just go beep, beep. Oh my God. Jeez. I'm seeing it click once every two minutes. I honestly felt like I was going to go insane watching it. This producer who uh, sold me on doing this, she was like, we're going to do this together. And then around eight, she was like, I got to run to my house. And she never came back. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Tale as old as time. Yep. They didn't even say they would pay me another day. I just wrote down on my timesheet later, hey, by the way, that's another day of work. It should have been two days because of labor laws. They do exist in this country, don't they? Labor laws, even though people in the industry want to pretend they don't. To be honest, when I look back, that's the stuff that gets me. The feeling that they took advantage. They took my ignorance and used it against me. I stayed up all night watching the stupid printer. In the morning, the CEO comes in all stressed out and the print doesn't look right. He starts yelling. Who printed this? You printed this? This is wrong. This isn't the format. I'm like a zombie. He proceeds to throw the papers at me and storms off. The office was an open space, so everyone sees it and they are quiet. I got up and walked out. His apologist came chasing after me. I was just like, bye. I got in my car and went home. Good for you. Did you ever go back? That's the thing. I came back and worked another six months there. Oh, Oh, no. So when I come back, I don't know how many days I was out, but his underling producer called me and said, come back, we'll have a conversation. She said, I've had staplers thrown at me and I've been shouted out. She starts naming all the traumatic things that have happened to her and she had this term. She called him an intense creator. I knew at the time it was bullshit and I was just so frustrated that I couldn't leave because I was so scared at the time that I wasn't going to find something else. And the CEO never apologized. I think he might have said something in passing like, hey, we're cool, right? But I used that passive aggressively. I was like, I'm going to do no work. (laughs) It was the wrong way to go about it. But I was like, I'm going to sabotage this company. They gave change for parking meters and I took as much of that as I could. (laughs) (laughs) yes serves them right it was reserved for guests but i'd be like i need to go move my car and take a fistful of change (laughs) anything i could do to undermine their business i would steal (laughs) t-shirts anything i could do to delay flow i would hide a lot i'd go in the closet they'd be like where's and i'd be like find me bitch come tell me i gotta work (laughs) i remember the world cup was that year i left and i would be in their conference room watching games all day long They'd ask me to do something and I'd be like, sure, in a minute, because I was like, fire me, please. Then they threw me a goodbye party when I left. Oh, wow. I don't think they could find somebody who would tolerate as much shit as I did. (laughs) I don't know why they didn't fire me. I wish they had, but I was ultimately glad that I could leave on my own terms. 
when you went to tell your boss that you were quitting, how did that conversation go? I saw several people come and do something there, but it became clear I wasn't going anywhere. When I started, I thought I might be a producer and I told him that. And when I quit, he was like, oh, you don't want to be a producer? He was going through the motions like that. He knew it was clear I didn't want to be there. I was like, let's stop this charade. So if you saw him on the street, absolutely no consequences. The funny thing is I actually did see him in the street. It was crazy because I was walking with a friend right by this place. It doesn't exist anymore. And I think this guy is in nothing now. I'm sure he couldn't get anybody to work with him. So I'm walking with my friend and literally saying, this is that place where I worked for that asshole. And as I'm saying that, I'm pointing to this place. And there's a guy who walks out to get in his car. He walks right into the aim of my finger. And he kind of perked up like he heard me. And I'm like, that's the fucking guy. I was wrapping my head around the fact that it was him. And by the time I processed it, he was in his car and gone. But it was hilarious because what are the chances? I think you might have heard me. I hope so. I hope so too. Go in peace, my child. Forgive me, Father, for I was part of a reality show for a famous multi-hyphenate who turned out to be a fraudulent monster. So this is my story. I've never really unpacked it for myself in a lot of ways. Start with the simple things. How old were you when it started? Um, I, I think I was probably 19. No, no, I was 20 when it started. And how did it begin? How did you get involved? Through a friend of a friend, actually. Um, a friend was at the studio and that person was teaching a class at studio (laughs) wow this one's gonna be like top secret classified yeah i'm really nervous it could get back to me somehow this is a safe space we'll bleep everything out and in the end you can decide whether you're ready to let it go out in the world it is completely your decision (sighs) okay so the friend of a friend was teaching a writing class he wrote a bunch of movies like and which were really funny So at the time he was teaching this writing class at an acting school, this was the studio. Wanted the studio to be a holistic thing where he would have writing classes, directing classes, acting classes. The whole idea was that people would find their tribes and he finds young talent there and kind of creates a pipeline to produce and further his own career. And the friend of a friend who was teaching the class there invited me to his class for free. And I was like, okay, free writing class, sweet. Obviously, I want to do this. And I also thought it was cool because this guy like knew. So I was like, you never know what's going to happen. I was 20 years old. And so I was like, oh, my God, I could be like best friends with. (laughs) A consummation devoutly to be wished. (laughs) I came from the suburbs. I know perfectly cliche suburban upbringing is very safe, very idyllic, just like a really good childhood. But I was really naive about the world. I've made a lot of frustrating mistakes because I was ill-prepared for things that I would end up finding in L.A. Ah! By this time, I'd been here for three years. I was studying, but I knew writing was the thing I wanted to do. I felt my peers were ahead of me because they were actually in film school, but this was an opportunity they weren't getting. That made me doubly excited. So what was it like the first time you went to class? It was so cool. I was on a studio lot. Like my first time on a lot, like they had my name, they gave me a parking pass and I I was just so excited about it. 
And then, you know, you go into one of those bungalows and it's just like, here are all these writers. And this first class was actually really, really cool. And through the class, I ended up meeting one of my writing heroes. The movie that he wrote is actually one of the reasons I wanted to become a writer. I had a wonderful time and was nowhere near the class. That came later when I got more involved with the school itself. I only went to that one class at first. It was 10 weeks over a summer and it was my first summer staying in LA. So, I mean, it was so much fun. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was in the city that I wanted to be in and I was excited because things were going pretty much exactly as I had always wanted them to go. Then I got a call from the teacher and because of our connection, he invited me to work on this new web series the school was developing with its actors. It was awesome. This idea, it, it was like, it was like America's next top model, but for actors where and his producing partners would be the judges and end up choosing one of the actors. I believe the prize was to have a lead role in the next movie that he was writing. Wow. That's a big prize. Yeah. It was a huge prize, like a game changer. And so they needed writers to come up with the scenes and the monologues that the actors would do as part of their competitions. And because was involved, it made me think it was legit. But there were a few red flags right away. His producing partners, some of them were super creepy. One of them seemed like a failed actor. He was very handsome and he knew it. And he liked to use that to, you know, kind of influence people. And the other one, he just was gross dude. He seemed scummy. He always wore clothes that didn't fit and a backwards baseball cap. And I was just like, why are you even here? He was just a very weird dude. And I immediately did not like him. The whole team worked at this house, the five producers and the five writers. Nobody was really legit, but you know, they were all further along in their careers than I was. I mean, one of them was a star on and one had to one was like booking national commercials. And here I was who had taken one class. Like I felt like I didn't belong there at all. Why do you think you got chosen? Was it because your writing was so great? I actually don't think it really had much to do with my writing. I think it had to do more with my connection. Ah, the Hollywood way. Right? And I think, like, I was just so young. So he knew that there wouldn't be any problems with, like, the pay or anything. (laughs) Right. They paid us, but it was not nearly enough for the work that we did. I think it was, like, a flat $500 for probably three weeks of work. What? $500 to create a show for an A-list Yeah, pretty much. So this was another red flag. But again, I was so excited for the opportunity. I didn't see it. I like wanted to frame the check. Like it was $500. It's not even going to cover my rent. But I was like, this is the first time I've ever been paid to be a writer. So yay. Once we started shooting the show, though, it became immediately clear that something was wrong. They had this one acting challenge. I'm putting air quotes around that. The actors were given a monologue and they would get notes from the directors and then they would redo the monologue with the direction. And so it was the producers that I was telling you about, that one guy who was seemingly a failed actor and that scummy dude. And then it was four directors who were still in the film school. Oh, God. They had the actors come on stage and it was a lot of women who were just starting their acting careers. And the direction almost every single time was to be sexy. They had them crawling on their hands and knees. They had them like whispering lines, trying to be sexy. How did you feel about all that? I wasn't in the room for most of it. They kept the writers somewhere else, setting things up for the next competition or working on scenes and stuff like that. 
but I knew what was happening because some of the actors, to their credit, stood up to this and basically dropped out of the competition because they were like, this isn't right. And so like, I knew it happened to more than the people than I actually saw it happen to. Eventually, there was like a big pause in production. They had all these grand ideas, but all those ideas got scrapped. And there was a tiny little finale. And then I don't think the show really ever came out anywhere. I certainly wasn't told about it. Now, this is like where the story kind of gets a little complicated. I got another opportunity. Like in hindsight, there was thing after thing that I sort of heard about, but didn't quite see what the red flags were. I should have known. I should have gotten the fuck out, but I was so blind about what I thought was, you know, the next step. I got invited to be part of Bleep's personal masterclass, which was supposed to be the pinnacle of the school. Oh, wow. Yeah. This was a huge opportunity because Bleep himself is teaching the masterclass and he wasn't really present on the web series. I think he may have been there at the finale when they shot that, but I really don't remember him being any part of it. So when they announced the masterclass, I was like, oh, this is the thing. He's teaching it himself. This is going to be amazing. And I sort of naively expected that we were going to really workshop the scripts. I thought he was there to sort of, you know, teach us his process because this was right in the midst of him writing and directing all those different movies that he was doing. But I should have known because the theme of the class was sex scenes. Fucking beautiful. Oh my God. I should have known something was amiss. But to me, like I'm 20 years old and I'm like, well, of course it's sex scenes. You know how movies are. You're waiting for the sex scene. It's an exciting thing. And here we are crafting these shorts where it's pretty much just the exciting parts. That makes me feel a little bit sick, to be honest. They were totally taking advantage of that kind of innocence. The masterclass was in West Hollywood somewhere at like a rental rehearsal space. You know, there was a stage and then there were bleachers and we just sit on the bleachers. There were wranglers who sort of operated the class and everybody would get in their place. And then he would come in and he'd talk from the stage. The way it worked was there were like 10 writers, 10 directors and 10 pairs of actors. And so he came in and he told us all to introduce ourselves. Then he told us to write down our top three of each opposite category so that we could have some say in who we were going to work with. And then he ended up pairing everybody based on that. So you got your team of one writer, one director, and one pair of actors. The idea was that we were going to create 10 shorts that produced, which at the time made it seem like this was, you know, really well thought out. But it became apparent very quickly that whatever thought went into this definitely wasn't for our benefit. Every single person there was there because they were hungry. They wanted to break into the industry and they wanted to impress. But there was no instruction. He wasn't working with the writers. He wasn't working with the directors. And really, he was just on the surface working with the actors. He was basically unreachable. There was one pair of actors in class who were acting out their scene and got fully naked and almost had sex on stage just to get his attention. Did he respond in any way? Not really. Like, he was very, very aloof. I couldn't figure out why we were there. What were we supposed to be getting out of this? And I mean, it costs money to be part of the class. Wait, you were paying for this? Yeah, $750 for six weeks. Wow, so much for the 500 bucks you got to create a show for this guy. Yeah, but I mean, it was cheap to get FaceTime with a famous And in some ways, it still felt like we were getting that. Ugh. During the masterclass, we all got invited to Halloween party. 
I was like, holy shit, like I get to go to a celebrity Halloween party at his house. This is so cool. And so I got to the party and I had to sign a waiver to be recorded. We were given very, very specific costume instructions. Mine was 50s Hollywood. Some of the actors from class were like dressed up as cats and were pawing at people. And it turned out he just wanted a bunch of extras for this scene he was shooting. And then he's like interacting in the party as his character and everybody else are just extras. What a fucker. It's just like one more thing that I was very uncomfortable with. And if I knew then what I know now, you know, I wouldn't have been a part of all this. I would have known that it was weird and wrong. But at the time, I still wrote it off as, you know, like this is a famous person's party. Fame hides all manner of sins. Well, not all of them. After the party, the masterclass continued. I wrote my script. We rehearsed one scene, one time in front of him, and he gave some notes. And I mean, like, to his credit, he's a fucking smart guy. He gave really smart notes. Like, he knows his shit. And so there was always that little bit of like, you know, maybe this actually something. When it came time to actually shoot the short, because, you know, that was part of the whole program, the directors were also supposed to produce the shorts. Wait, I thought was producing them. Yeah, I don't know if that had been a rumor or what was going on, but he just was not. He really didn't do anything. My director got her own crew and she got her own everything and pulled a lot of favors. And at the end, there was a festival where everyone showed their films. There was only one good short. And I don't even know if was present. But I know one thing got out of it. He got a lot of young actors who wanted to be in his shows and who I can only assume were put in positions that they shouldn't have been in. Because one of those actors is the main person who accused him of abuse. Holy shit. How long after was that? Oh, the timeline gets a little fuzzy. But the accusations happened with, like, the Time's Up stuff when was on the award circuit for He wore the Time's Up pin, and this woman, who was one of the actors in the masterclass, called him out on it. I have to think the episode that she called him out for happened pretty quickly after the sex scenes class. The thing that really frustrates me is that I was watching it happen, and I was just so naive and so blinded by what I thought was an opportunity that I had no idea what was going on. I just assumed everybody was as hungry as I was. The moment the news came out, I was like, holy shit, I know this person. And like, it fundamentally changed how I understood this experience that I had, which is very selfish because I didn't go through any of the abuse, but I became angry with myself that I didn't understand what was happening right in front of me. You know, up until that point, I was very excited to tell people that I had this experience. It was cool. Like this huge A-list celebrity took time and we worked together, however, tangentially. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like this, this was not good. I felt angry and dumb. What would you do differently knowing what you know now? I don't know. I don't know what I could have done because I just wasn't around. For whatever reason, I wasn't directly exposed to a lot of the stuff. What would you say or do to if there were no consequences? I'm just so disappointed in him. This was like the coolest dude in the world. Why did you do this? You didn't have to do this. I just, none of this needed to happen. And the most frustrating thing is that even if I'd never done it, I think I'd be in the same place that I am now. Because where I am now has nothing to do with that experience. Oh, wow. When the masterclass was over, it just stopped. Like, a full stop. 
No more contact with any of those people at all. Nothing. And a couple of years later, I wasn't working in film and TV and I was just desperate to get back. I was desperate to feel that connection to writing. So I took another writing class and I met somebody there who ended up being very important to me in my development as a writer. It's because of them that I am where I am today. Had nothing to do with it. That's great. Opportunities come from good people too. We just have to learn how to tell the difference. And it sounds like you did. Go create in peace, my child. Holy shit, that was crazy. That moment where she realized that she was in class with one of the women who accused him, my jaw dropped. You know what I find interesting about both these stories is they both have this idea of being in versus being out in Hollywood. Like both of the confessors were sort of stuck on the outside looking in a little bit. And the only way they could be part of something was to accept some degree of toxic behavior themselves. Yeah, like in the bleep bleep story, the confessor talked about how each step wasn't terrible in and of itself. But once she had gone down the road that she went down, in hindsight, it led her to this terrible place that she had accepted the abuse in small increments. And before she knew it, she was in a situation that she just didn't understand. Yeah, there's so much to unpack here psychologically, and we are completely unqualified to do so. Yeah, we're podcast priests, not podcast psychologists. (laughs) Right, but I want to share something I learned recently. A friend of mine and I were talking about why certain people win in Hollywood, and I got curious and started looking into the psychology of winning. And it turns out there's something hardwired into human brains. When you win, you get like a surge of testosterone, which is like super sexy, and it triggers the release of dopamine. So it's like a drug, makes you feel good, and it's so good that most people would do basically anything to feel that high, even vicariously. So that's why people tend to distance themselves from losers or the people who are out, and they will do anything to identify with winners instead. This explains why so many people jump on the bandwagon when the Dodgers are in the playoffs. (laughs) Right. And also to your point, it shows why people trying to break in are sometimes willing to perpetuate or at least overlook toxic behavior in the industry. They want to be winners. And when the people at the top act like this, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, there are a lot of leaders in the industry who are rejecting this paradigm. They're putting their own careers on the line to make Hollywood a better place to be. And one of those who I want to offer a shout out to today is my longtime friend, Tom Pop. So Tom is a career sound guy. He started out more than 15 years ago as a boom op and worked his way up to becoming a sound mixer. He's worked on a ton of films and TV series. And what he found coming up was that film and TV sets can be incredibly toxic environments, especially to people who are just starting out and trying to learn. Right. Like if you don't know what you're doing on set, you better just hide in a corner until you figure it out. Find me, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Tom looked at this and he was like, there has to be a better way. Not everybody can spend a hundred grand on film school to prepare for their first day on the job. So he created this educational website called Video Mantis that has these really in-depth tutorials on how to use basically every kind of sound equipment. And it pairs people with mentors to help them get ready to launch their careers. Tom's goal as long as I have known him, has been to create a better, more positive work environment for sound people in Hollywood. And I just want to give him a big shout out for that. That's amazing. I wonder if he'd be interested in doing sound design on a podcast. (laughs) If he could stretch himself any thinner, I'm sure he absolutely would. Well, that's all we have for you today. If you like the show, hit subscribe and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts.
And if you feel the need to unburden your soul or know someone who deserves a shout out for making Hollywood a happier place, please let us know. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fess Up Hollywood. Thanks so much for listening. We'll have more confessions for you next time on The Hollywood Confessional. Create in peace, my children. The Hollywood Confessional is produced by Megan Dane and J.R. Zamorathal. Our cast for this episode, Jake Fiedler, Amy Backlini, Austin Windham, Christina Vasquez. Special effects provided by Zapsplat and Pixabay. Hollywood Confessional is a Ninth Way Media production. Follow us on socials at Fess Up Hollywood. 